0: On today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast, Vin Diesel confirms he is indeed going to come back for Fast X1, uh, despite the controversies going on. Also, Pedro Pascal shocked the world at the SAGs winning Best Dramatic Actor. A couple of other surprises there as well. Madam Webb's fall from... Grace? It was never in Grace. This might become like the first big superhero movie in a long time that doesn't even reach $100 million. Also, we've got the star of Fantastic Four confirming that the thing in the new Fantastic Four will actually be CG and not costumes, and he'll explain why. And long live cinema! As Oppenheimer today thanks the Oscar gods that Dune moved to 2024, we saw Dune 2. We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. The John Capus Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best damn Movie Related Show on the planet Earth. The John Capus Show podcast coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campietta, it's an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you. Our international friends gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. Not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some background and context, so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether the same or different from ours. And we are now living in a world where we've seen Dune 2. And oh, the world looks good. Joining me in studio today is Ray Ora. Hello. <laughs> is that your Christopher Walken? I've been trying to do this Christopher Walken
1: impression this whole the whole morning, and it's just not happening.
2: Yeah, also yeah. joining us is Jonathan Voico. You know, <laughs> I didn't get any practice. I can do better than that, but hey, what's up, guys?
0: Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett.
3: Uh, I don't have a Walken impression. You
0: don't? No. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here and making today's show a little bit of a part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to start off by talking about those topics that I just listed off. Then in the last part of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. The Super Chats are currently open, but they're, they are almost full. So they're yeah. only going to be open for a couple more minutes. Then we're going to shut them down. But we'll address those questions at or near the end of the show. All right, guys. With that down, let's get things kicked off here with this. Of course, regardless of the quality of them, of the last couple, the Fast and the Furious franchise has been and has been one of the most successful, prolific box office hits of the last number of years. It's just one of the biggest franchises ever. And I, I have loved... I, okay, let me try that again. I did not love them at first. I fell in love with them during like 4, 5, 6, seven, and 8... And have started to really much fall out of love with them with number 9 and 10, which were just awful. Although, <laughs> granted, 10 was a little bit better than 9. Now, of course, they talked about there are going to be one more big one. Then Vin Diesel kind of teased there might be two more. And then, of course, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we heard the controversy coming out where a former assistant of him has uh, accused him of sexual assault. And he's laid very quiet ever since, raising some questions amongst some people that will Vin Diesel even do another Fast and the Furious movie? I mean, we assume there probably would be another movie, but will Vin Diesel even be a part of it? Or might they scrap the whole thing because of declining box office, stuff like that? But hey, even though the movie stunk, and even though the movie had declining box office, Rob, Fast 10 still made over $700 million worldwide. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's great by a lot of standards, right? Well, according to Deadline, Vin Diesel is putting all the questions to rest. He is going to be doing an 11, and he is going to star in it. This comes to us from Deadline, who writes the following. The end is near, says Vin Diesel, but he promises it will indeed be a grand finale. The Fast and Furious star and producer posted on Instagram today and updated fans on the next franchise installment known as Fast Z? or XI, the film likely marks the end of the long-running series, at least for Diesel. The actor is starting to inch out into the public again after a December lawsuit was filed against him by a former assistant accusing him of sexual battery. He has denied the allegations. So he went on in a social media post to say he just did his weekly meeting with the writers, and he promises a great ending. So basically confirming that this is going to be the last one. Again, I was starting to wonder, Like, look, I am a big Vin Diesel fan. I've said that for years. I still am. I don't know the validity or lack of validity of the accusations against him, so I'm not going to comment on that since that has, that's outside of my knowledge. I, I don't know what's going on. We can comment on that if it ever gets to a trial or things like that happen. But for now, Rob, I got to admit there was a part of me as well that was starting to wonder if you know Vin Diesel might just understandably go, you know what? I have made millions upon millions upon millions of dollars doing this franchise. Other people can do them. I mean, we saw Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham do that, and that made a butt-ton of money. Maybe I will just quietly just go away with my bajillion dollars and move it forward. But apparently he's coming back. Right move, wrong move. And after 9 and 10, where is your anticipation level for number 11, if at all? What do you think?
3: John, I feel like the... Fast and Furious franchise is a a franchise where I had a wonderful lover and I found out that she was cheating on me the whole time. And my love for her was misplaced because I hated, hated 9 and 10. I've left the franchise. That That said, I'm interested to see how they will end this franchise. I want this to be good. What they need to do is, to me, the pinnacle of this franchise remains Fast Five, and I understand that there's CG used in the movie, but, you know, when those guys flew off a cliff and jumped out of a car as the car plummeted (laughs) into the water off a bridge, I'm like, that was a real car. You know, hey, they, like, did that stunt. And, And one of the things about the Fast and Furious franchise that I liked when it began was the real stunt work. And then before it became a CG assisted mess of epic proportions. And I just, no verisimilitude, nothing. It went into fantasy land, a Fiero in space. I'm like, I'm out. I want this to be good. I want Vin Diesel to wrap this up in fine form. Um, I just don't think there'll, there'll be 12 Fast and the Furious movies if you include Hobbes and Shaw. Mm. But that's kind Let's of. Let's spend thing, right? money on something else.
0: There, there is a line, <laughs> I, and I don't think a thin line, there is a distinct line. Between asking the audience to embrace the stretching of believability yes. to pure fantasy. For example, in the one, I think it was Fast Six or Fast Seven, where they're in the one building with the car. That's Fast Seven. That's fast. Seven, and they do the jump to the other building. Could <laughs> that have they actually did science YouTube videos breaking that? Could that have actually happened? No. But that would fall under the category for me of asking the audience. To
3: embrace a stretched believability. Yeah, that was that was the end for me. Right. That that because when you're dealing with cars, the whole point of doing car chase movies is we've all ridden in cars and we know what it's like to drive fast in cars. And it, it's to give us that visceral, visceral thrill of doing something that's forbidden that we could potentially do ourselves that we don't do. And when you make it unrealistic, the whole point of doing car chases is rendered moot because once you're in to fantasy world then, and you're trying to make a movie set in the real world, it doesn't work anymore. And I felt that way with the whole opening sequence of fast nine, when they're driving through the jungle and the bombs are going (laughs) off. I'm like, I I don't believe. Yeah, (laughs) I can't, it just doesn't work. And I, I think that they've undercut, they've undermined their whole franchise by doing so.
0: Now we have heard prior to the allegations against Vin Diesel, that Universal was still gonna move ahead, but they were gonna like cut the budget in half. Cause wasn't the budget for fast three hundred forty million. Three like that is one of the most expensive films in the history of cinema. I mean, that is ridiculous. So we already heard they were gonna cut back on the budget, which might actually be a good thing. I think so too. Right? It might force them to get back a little bit to the grittiness, you know, the the racing, the whatever. Yeah, yeah. They
1: they 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 stated that they would go back to their, their roots. Right, like that's what they said. So we'll see what that means. Who knows?
0: Yeah, like I don't know how you go back to your roots after exactly. swan bowling and exploding dam with like every single frame. Having it was all just to... a fever dream. Yeah, I mean, I maybe, yeah, maybe Vin Diesel wakes I, up and he's still in the garage. Just, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, right. I dream. mean, internationally, Fast X made
1: a bulk of its money 79.3% of it.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of, like of the this. American audience has given up. I- <laughs> on fast on the Fast and Furious, they just because how much money did it make in the domestic problem? Domestic, it's 146 million. Internationally, it made 500. Okay, so 100. How much uh, for domestically? 146 million. Do me a favor. Go to Fast Seven and tell me how much money it made domestically. Okay. How much Fast Seven made in the North American audience? Because. That's really kind of the telling thing, right? That right. the North American audience gave up on. What did it okay, make? Okay,
1: well, uh, domestically it made three hundred fifty-three million.
0: So it's uh-huh. dr- dropped in half. Yeah. yeah,
1: right. Now, 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 here's the here's the question. It's still making money internationally. It would is go, worldwide. it still made over seven hundred million? But going back to its to their roots actually hurt
0: them. No, because right now, like their their overall box office is on decline. And even though the vast majority of their money comes from the international, has has been coming from the international box office, their international box office has been dropping too. Right. So So. they've got to course correct here because, and, you know, maybe this is a good way that Vin Diesel can close out his chapter, his, his, well, series of chapters of Fast and Furious before maybe they move on in a different direction. We will have to wait and find out. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Do you think, are you surprised to hear that Vin Diesel's going to do another one? Would you have been actually more shocked if he didn't? Do you think this next one can recapture the imaginations of people? I hope they go out strong. I want to get back to that feeling of fast five, six, seven. And I know not everybody love date, but I like date. Whatever. I hope they can get back to that. Whatever you guys think, jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down. Let's move on to this, shall we? You know, it is award season. We're starting to barrel towards the conclusion of award season with the Oscars coming up in a couple of weeks. And we've been following a bunch of the races in the award seasons of both movies and television. And there have been some constants, right? Like um Steven Yun and Ali Wong winning actor and actress for best limited series or television series, right? For beef. I mean, that's been in every award show. They win that. And there have been a few constants. One of the constants have been for best dramatic actor in television. That constant has been somebody from succession. That's been it. Somebody from succession. Macaulay, normally, right? That has been one of the rock solid things throughout. So now we come to the SAG Awards, Probably. I mean, look, the most important award might still be the Emmys, but to actors, if you're a television actor, the SAG Awards, because this is an award that is actually voted on by all the actors. It is actually being presented to you by your peers, by those who know acting the best, other actors. And the SAG Awards got together for their annual awards, and when it came time to announce Best Drama Actor... Everybody expected another succession name, including Pedro Pascal, who thought, since I have no chance, I'm going to get drunk. (laughs) And he drank a lot at the party, just having a good time. And then he shocked the world. They got up and made the presentation for Best Dramatic Actor, and it went to Pedro Pascal. And it's awesome. If you guys haven't seen the video, you know how they go, and the winner is, and they show all the faces of the nominees... Of course, Peter Pascal's there. He's getting ready to clap for one of the Succession guys again because that's what the whole award season has been. And when they said Peter Pascal, his face was priceless. It was like he was just stunned. (laughs) Stunned. (laughs) And he gets up on stage, and it's one of the greatest openings to a speech I'd ever heard. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Basically, I didn't think I would be up here, so I got drunk. (laughs) He goes, to all my fellow nominees, I don't remember your names right now. And he's just going on and on. Like, And he was holding back tears. You could tell he wanted to cry. And it was one of the most beautiful, authentic, wonderful <clears throat> award show moments um, I remember seeing. And, of course, he, he winning for The Last of Us, uh, which I thought he was just absolutely incredible in. I'm so happy for him that he won this award. And the timing is great, too, because it's wonderful that we are hot on the heels right now of the official word coming out that Pedro Pascal is our new Reed Richards. He's going to be the smartest man in the universe uh, in it. And I think now, I think this is going to make some people feel even better knowing, oh, this guy, all the actors of the world just anointed that this guy is the best television dramatic actor, uh, which is neat. Now, there was another surprise, At the SAGs. One of the other ones, because it's kind of looked like the race for best actress in a motion picture at the Oscars has now been settled. It's going to be Emma Stone. And we said, well, we'll wait to see what happens at SAG. SAG stunned us again. Lily Gladstone was named best actress in a motion picture for, um, I was going to say Oppenheimer, which (laughs) we used to say, but Killers of the Flower Moon. She won for that. Which makes now the best actress award going into the Oscars very interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. It ain't just Emma Stone's anymore because I she mean, won.
2: She won the golden the Golden Globe, right? Lily Gladstone.
0: She did, but I think Emma didn't. They put Emma Stone in the comedy category, yeah, and didn't she win that there? So and then uh, Lily Gladstone wasn't even nominated at the Baftas. <laughs> so now going look, if I think the the smart money is still on Emma Stone, I still think the smart money is there, but. It ain't a lock anymore with Lily Gladstone winning the SAG, especially at the SAG. Yeah, especially at the SAG, um, it's going to be really interesting now going into the Oscars to see the race. And you know what? I I don't think there's a right choice. Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone were both remarkable
3: and, and, and wildly films. different kinds of pieces of work by both yes. by both ladies. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to choose because you're looking at two extremes and both. Both extremes required great performances, so it's it's a tough—that's a tough, tough one. But, you know, hey, Lily Gladstone represents a, a milestone moment in the Oscars, so I'd have no problem, you know, if she won. It would be a, a great moment. And, and the film—I think Killers of the Flower Moon, in a way, people are always looking at, well, is it the best picture of the year because it's this thing? But it's still a, a phenomenal piece of work.
0: Yeah, very it's long— a, but phenomenal, it, yeah, piece phenomenal of work. Yeah, phenomenal piece of work.
3: I mean, yeah, it's very long, and all the things that might work against it, but it is still a master working at the top of his game, and, you know, it's just, it's not as safe fun. Right. You know? Well, let's go over the list of the other winners, because there are
0: a couple other little surprises, but and a lot, not so much. Okay, so Best Motion Picture Cast, SAG awarded to No Real Big Surprise Oppenheimer. It won over American Picture, <clears throat> Barbie, The Color Purple, and Killer's of Flower Moon. Best male actor in a leading role in a motion picture. No big surprise here. Although I I thought there was a good chance that it might go to Paul Giamatti because yeah. SAG loves Paul Giamatti, but it went to Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. So that, that has paved the way, I think, now for here is the clear uh, odds-on favorite to win the Oscar. Uh, best female actor in a leading role, of course, went to Lily Gladstone. Best male actor in a supporting role, its he's run the table. Robert Downey Jr. has run the table. Incredible performance. Yeah, now- it, although no, he hasn't run the table. I think Sterling K. Brown won one of the awards, but I, I whatever Robert Downey won most of them. It's incredible. Um, I still wouldn't say it's a lock that he wins the Oscar, but it's as close to a lock as you're going to get. So that was no surprise. Best Female Actor in a Supporting Role. This one is a lock. Divine Joey uh, Randolph for The Holdovers. She has been running the table. She will win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in there, and I, I personally think well-deserved. Best Stunt Ensemble went to Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, they've got Then we get into the television categories. Best Drama Series Ensemble. No surprise, Succession uh, won Best Ensemble. Best Comedy Series Ensemble. No surprise, The Bear, which has been winning all the actors... Best lead actor, best actress, best supporting actor. I mean, they've just been sweeping all of that. Best male actor in a TV movie or miniseries. Again, running the table. Steven Yun in Beef. He's won every single major award there has been for this. As well as his co-star, Ali Wong in Beef for best female actor in a TV or miniseries. Best, and then this one we just talked about. Best male actor in a drama series. Against three people in succession. Brian Cox, Kieran Culkin, and Matthew McFadden. Who's going to, of course, be in uh, Deadpool three? We just saw him in the recent trailer. And Pedro shocked the world. Pedro took home Best Dramatic Actor, which was I was so excited for him. Uh, Best Female Actor in a Series, Elizabeth Debicki for The Crown. I actually kind of thought it would go to Sarah Snook because she's won a number of these awards, but it went to Elizabeth Debicki. She's great. Best Male Actor in a Comedy Series, again running the table, J- uh, Jeremy Allen White yeah, for The Bear. Jeremy Allen, well deserved. Female actor in a comedy series, again, the bear, Ayo uh, Edibiri, who, by the way, was the voice of the girl in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh. Yeah, I believe she was the voice of that. I, I hope I'm not wrong about that, but I think it was. Well,
1: oh, let me look that up. Let me back you up here, but go ahead.
0: And uh, best stunt ensemble in a TV series went to The Last of Us. Uh, so that's the stuff. So, Rob, again, a couple of instances here that of just running the t- the table right but well deserved and, and well deserved i think it, especially in the movie categories it's a yeah. picture obviously the peter pascal one surprised us i think the lily gladstone one's a bit of surprise were there any others that kind of surprised you
3: elizabeth debicki yeah I didn't yeah a little that, bit right you know but i i, I love her you know oh, i've always loved uh, you know i loved her in tenet it's kind of like this cold icy i mean she's great she you know she's like six three or something i didn't know she was that tall she's really tall and there's there's she has like this ethereal elegance to her that I I just really and I loved seeing her winning for Princess Die. Good for her.
0: Good for her indeed. Ray, do we got a confirmation? Did it's she do the voice of April? A- the,
1: who played April?
0: Yeah. It's A.O. Yep, that's her. She said from The Bear. She's kind of cleaning it up. So um good on them. And again, congrats to Pedro Pascal. Reed Richards, our Mr. Fantastic. Uh, that uh, shocked, the, <laughs> it to, yep, it shocked the world. And boy, was he having a good time doing it. Yes,
1: your Halloween costume on, Rob. Look, <laughs> look at the back screen. That, isn't that what you had on Halloween?
0: Last Absolutely. Year? <laughs> All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? The story of Madame Webb, <laughs> like rotting fish on a kitchen countertop, continues to soil the air with its stench. Um, A new milestone, if you will, was hit by Madam Web this week. It came in, in its second weekend, it came in fourth place. Or it might have been even lower than that. I think it was fourth place. But it came in, I believe, fourth place. Let me just double check. Yep, fourth place in just its second weekend. Making, in its second weekend, $6 million at the domestic box office. Let me repeat. A major tentpole comic book movie in its second weekend has made six million dollars this brings we can pull this up here now this brings madam webb's worldwide box office cum to 77 million dollars
2: that $6 million were all people saying, is it really that bad? Is it
0: really that bad? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, or maybe I was drunk the first time I yeah. saw it. Maybe I should go back and watch it again. But $6 million of curiosity. But Rob, just before the pandemic, $77 million, not after two weeks, but on an opening weekend, would have not been considered a disappointment, but a little on the low end. <laughs> you know, a big tentpole comic book movie just in like 2018, 2019, making $77 million just on its opening weekend, would have been thought, okay, not bad, but a little on the low end. This movie, I don't believe, is going to make $100 million worldwide. Now, I I think that's less than Shazam. Shazam 2, I believe, crossed the $100 million mark. Um, This is going to be, I think, the lowest grossing worldwide major comic book film in ages. And it couldn't happen to a nicer movie. It couldn't happen to a nicer movie. I mean, this is, what does uh,
1: Shazam too? internationally has almost.
0: I mean, worldwide. How same. much did make worldwide? Worldwide, 134. So it made 134 million, which was terrible. But it's like almost twice as much <laughs> as what Adam Webb. I, hey, Madam Webb still got a couple of weeks to go. But Dune is opening. Everybody's going to go and be seeing Dune. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, too. Rob, as bad as it is, and it's a bad movie, again, and I just did a video last week about all the comic book movies that are worse than Madam Web. So Madam Web is not the worst comic book movie. But it's terrible. Yeah. It's not the worst. But it's terrible. I still would have thought just being what it is, it would make more than this. Proving that the audiences are tired of mediocre product. But anyway, Rob, you're seeing the $77 million after two weeks. Uh, Surprised, not surprised. Will it hit that $100 million mark? What do you think?
3: John, I think this makes me angry more than anything else. And I know in the grand scheme of things, why get angry over a bad movie? But at this point in time, uh, we're 24 years into the world since X-Men 1 came out and Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man. That taught us all lessons a quarter of a century ago. And to see this movie... Coming out from Sony, when they had Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2 to look at as a template, and this is what they're giving us, it just makes me sad. Because this is needless. This is, is, you know, S.J. Clarkson, who's a great TV director, she might never direct a feature film again. What did this do for anybody? Didn't make the studio money didn't do the actors any favors didn't do the director any favor and the writers should all be thrown away into a into a gulag somewhere in the <laughs> archipelago of wherever and uh the the i, I just i it, it but it bothers me that 85 million dollars like this was squandered when you could have made i don't know 10 barbarians <laughs> you know or something that that at least could have surprised an audience or given an audience something that an audience deserves and i don't understand why sony is not taking the development of their Spider Verse seriously. They could have been doing something that rival what Marvel was doing, even though they only have the Spider Man characters. They could have been creating a really vibrant, interesting look. What look what across the Spider Verse and into the Spider Verse have done? Oh yeah, I mean, you look at that and you're under like,
0: their same roof, under the same banner, under the, the same, same and, and, roof. And, and,
3: and you just, I'm like, what? What are you people doing? And it it shows you that it doesn't matter. You can't look at every studio executive and go, wow, you really know your job. I would get rid of an entire regime based on this and Morbius. Because these should have been winners. And they were not. No.
0: and, and Do you think it's going to get I will the name mark, some of the
3: people in this room. Do
0: you, do you think it'll get to the hundred million mark? Like, will at least no. enough curiosity exist that no. people will crawl out to see it? No, because the curiosity—how
3: much of a train wreck can it be? I don't even want to live in a society where people are paying money to go see how bad this movie is. Um, the only way that I could say that, okay, this movie has second life. Warner Brothers and Sony should get together and release a double bill of Pitoff's Catwoman and Madame Web. Put them together, and here you go. By the here way, that's go. one of the movies Film that's fans. worst. That's one of the movies that's worse than Madam Web. Actually, you know what makes Catwoman better than
0: Madam Web? No, it's not better. It, I, I right already like know it. what you're How gonna I, say.
3: Sharon Stone. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, listen, yeah. and
0: but that makes it. That's what makes it even worse. That was You Sharon Stone in it. True. You, you do you my girl wrong. You do
3: not do Sharon Stone wrong. And they did her wrong, my friend. Man, that dude. I God. still, I still dream of Basic Instinct three. Well, anyway, moving on. Could happen. <laughs> I still yeah.
1: have to see the other half of uh, Madam Web, so I might have to.
3: Yeah, he fell asleep through most of it. Maybe it'll become a drinking game in colleges when it goes on to cable, finally.
0: <laughs> Could or be. Or they're just waiting for Sony to do their big re-release. Yeah. Like they did for Morbius. to give second believe they said on cable. Well, you know, so what are the
2: conversations old. happening at Sony with Craven coming up and Venom 3? Because you just mentioned the whole regime, right?
3: I, uh, Yeah, I mean, you're looking at an entire... I, I mean, you've got three Venom movies, a Craven movie, a Morbius movie, and a Madam Web movie. They have the potential to completely destroy... Three great vibrant spider people that could have been used in any. I mean, t- the fact that they're not making Craven's Last Hunt, I don't understand that at all. I can but understand whatever. not
0: maybe coming out and leading off with that. Although it's kind of, and I mean, listen, we've been saying for years, I thought they should have brought in Craven hunting Venom, right? And it's kind of a twist of, Cra- of the Great of yeah. Last Hunt, right? I thought that's kind of where they're going to go. Look, there's still hope.
3: I mean, I, Aaron Taylor Johnson's a good actor. I really Aaron like Taylor him.
0: Johnson's fantastic. Uh, Russell Crowe is one of my favorite actors in the world. Although he does lately, he's phoned it in a lot. Um, but and I love the Venom films. I mean, I, I like number one more than I like number two. But I I have been entertained by the Venom films. I I got belief in Tom Hardy. But. Yeah, and look, $77 million. This is really going to make a lot of people stop and think and uh, think maybe, hey, instead of just going around and rehiring the writers of Morbius, we should look elsewhere. Anyway, guys, question is for you. As bad as Madam Webb is, I didn't think it would only not even crack $100 million. I, I, are you surprised by that? Not surprised? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we still got to talk about Eben Moss backrack saying that Thing in the new Fantastic Four is not going to be him in a costume. It's it's going to be CG. We're going to talk about the pros and the cons of that. Also, three of us in this room have now seen Dune 2. We got thoughts. And we're going to talk about that. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode of the John Show podcast, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. I've told you guys many times that after switching to Mint Mobile, I am spending less than a third on my sell bill than I used to with a major carrier. Say goodbye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All Mint plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And don't worry about having to change phones or numbers. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So guys, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com.com. Campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for sponsoring today's episode. All right, guys, with that down, let's talk about this, shall we? You know, we were mentioning uh that Pedro Pascal kind of shocked the world, winning Best Dramatic uh, Series actor. And while he was giving his acceptance speech, they Shot over to a guy who has won a number of awards, including the Emmy for Best Supporting Actor in uh, Eben Moss, Backrack, who's going to be our Ben Grimm, The Thing in the upcoming Fantastic Four, Pedro's co-star. Well, there's been a question that a lot of fans have been having recently, which is, how are they going to do Thing in Fantastic Four? Will they go the Hulk route and do a CG like they did in the most recent Fantastic Four? Or could they go back to a physical, practical costume like the one Michael Chiklis wore in uh, those other terrible Fantastic Four movies? And listen, as bad as those Fantastic Four movies were, I thought Michael Chiklis was a good pick to play Ben Grimm, and I didn't think the costume was terrible. I thought the costume worked about as well as a costume could have for a character like him. Well, uh, Evan Moss was doing the talk show circuit, and I think he was on uh, Jimmy Kimmel the other night.
1: Yeah.
0: And... He was asked about the costume, and he's put it to bed. Thing is going to be CG motion capture. And he even gives a reason why. All right, this comes us from the folks over at Ride who wrote the following. Evan moss Backrock took to Jimmy Kimmel Live to talk about his recent casting in Marvel's upcoming The Fantastic Four film, revealing that his character, Ben Grimm, a.k.a. The Thing, will be created using motion capture rather than a physical suit. Now, this is what he said. In the past... I think they've done a suit. Michael Chiklis wore a suit, and that apparently was really uncomfortable. And it's kind of, we're past that, Eben Moss said. It's a little kind of cosplay, kind of amateur, that kind of stuff now with the technology we have. Now, I know there are some people whose anal pucker hole is getting all tight Ooh. at the fact that he just said that. But I, I want us to understand the context in which he was saying. Because I've already seen some people blowing up saying, Emma Mouse saying practical effects is for kids and cosplayers. It's not what he said. He was talking about a very specific situation. He wasn't talking, he wasn't saying all costuming is bad. He wasn't saying all practical effects. He was specifically talking about a character like Ben Grimm, The Thing, and what looks better today. And the reality is, as much as there are some people who mistakenly think practical is always better. No, it's fucking not. Not by a long shot. There are many occasions when, there are some occasions when practical is 100% better. And there's many occasions when CG, properly used CG, is absolutely better. For the Avengers films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, hey, listen, I got fond memories and I love me some Lou Frigno but I did not want to see Lou Fringer or some dude in green body paint running around going, "rar." I mean, what they did was much better. And I think when you're going to do a character like the thing to make him that physically imposing in a way, nightmarish and terrifying <laughs> physical presence, you just can't do it again. Big props to the people who did up Michael Chiklis because that worked way more than it should have worked. Like, that worked way more than a show. But you weren't going to capture the awesomeness of the thing with a practical costume. You you just weren't. And so, personally, me, I think this is the right choice. You know what, Rob? I'll go one step further. I think it is easily the right choice for them to go motion capture with this. Again, that's going to come down to do they do it well or do they not do it well? And that we'll have to wait and see. But I think this is the right direction for them. What do you think about this? Well,
3: I, I think it's the only way. I mean, look at the characters. After Thanos, all bets are off. You know, you made a purple guy, giant purple guy, completely believable in close-ups talking to human beings. A uh, Colossus in the Deadpool movies, another example of how this works. I mean, technology has moved forward, and I'm sorry, but in the in the MCU, when you have Thanos, you have Hulk, and maybe we'll get Colossus, I don't know, in Deadpool and Wolverine. You're already there. You know you've already transitioned. It's been over. By the ten way, he's years. in the trailer, so
0: we know he's going to be
3: there. Oh, that's right. Yeah. he's in the trailer, so we know. So there. So that you've got the those characters, and we know that they're already established. I mean, we saw the Hulk in 2012, and it was convincing. You have to do Thanos. Which, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you had a, a thing as a practical effect standing next to the Hulk, it wouldn't work. It yeah. would you'd be like what? Now this looks fine now, but now we're, we've created. Uh, or then, but we've created a, a character that, of course they're going to use CG. I mean, I don't think that there's any question about that. Yeah. Especially in Marvel. Especially a character that's supposed to be like the thing,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, like, there are going to be other comic book characters that, you know what? Right costuming, that works perfectly fine. And I don't think Evan was saying when he says it's kind of cosplay, kind of amateurish. I think he was specifically talking about the thing situation when you're talking about a character that's supposed to be larger than life and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But there, there are still going to be Rob a lot of comic book and still are that are done today where they actually <laughs> do them up in physical makeup.
3: Uh, 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 absolutely, a hundred percent. But I would say that even an actor with the kind of motion capture they can get now. Your performance as an actor via motion capture is going to be far more convincing than your emotion or your acting in a prop suit where your even the mouth movement might have to be radio controlled. Right. So an actor is going to be allowed a lot more leeway to deliver a performance in a motion capture suit. By the way, the Navi since, proved that. since Jonathan has this picture up, I want to
0: mention another comment Eben Moss made that I thought was very interesting cuz Jimmy Kimmel brought this picture up and he said, "Okay, so can you confirm that this movie does take place in the 60s because of the picture that the Marvel that Marvel released?" And Evan Moss said something very interesting. He said, "Well, that picture definitely has a 60s theme." And I'm like Kimmel's straight up like, "Can you confirm that this movie takes place in the in the 60s?" He says, "Well, the picture certainly has a 60s theme." I don't know what that means, Rob. <laughs> I mean, I it. What does that mean? Is is this? I, I I don't know. What do you take from that when he says that? Is he saying that it doesn't take place in the sixties? I, I
3: I think he's I, saying it does. Like he can't okay, confirm that's one anything. way you can interpret it. Yeah, I think he can't confirm it. But if he says, well, the picture okay. does, he's speaking about that art, so that doesn't break any used the NBAs word theme. or anything. He
0: says there's a theme. So I I don't know. I I, I that's well, making okay. me wonder if it, we're the, getting the this way you a just bit. said it there. Right.
3: The uh, it could. Maybe they're characters out of the 60s, from the 60s. They've existed in the 60s, and they disappeared. And now they show up in the present day. Who knows? I mean, you know, (laughs) we need a new new, I understood that reference meme. We've got Steve Rogers, Captain America, for a long time. Now uh, Reed Richards or maybe all of the Fantastic Four can say, we understand that reference. We need another character saying, everybody tells me I need to watch this Star Wars thing. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, out of time. I mean, and I, look, to me, that would make the Fantastic Four. That's what the other Fantastic Four movies have been missing. The fact that we could begin in the 1960s, which is an era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we really haven't seen other than the flashbacks in like, what, Endgame, going back to the military bases and you meet Howard Stark and all that. It's, I, I, uh, bring it on. All right, guys, question is for you.
0: What do you think about his comments saying that, number one, that thing is definitely going to be CGI? The right decision? The wrong decision? Maybe the Michael Chiklis outfit worked better for you than for others? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Last night, uh, thousands of movie fans across the country got to go see a special advanced fan screening of the brand new Dune Part 2. Now, I loved Dune Part 1. I thought it was incredible. It won more Academy Awards than any other film that year, and it was setting something up where we knew where Dune was going and could could potentially be very special. So last night, and and by the way, I think the first Dune movie became my wife Anne's number two all-time favorite movie. And so last night, getting ready to go to see Dune 2. That's Ann's outfit. <laughs> that's that's my wife getting ready for us to head out the door. And she was so excited. She's like, we were in Vegas this weekend. And like every day she goes, it's like 48 more hours until we go see Dune. It's 37 more hours until we see Dune. It was just one big, massive countdown for Dune. By the way, setting us up for a lot of potential disappointment. Because the first reactions have been out of the world. The, the reviews have come. I believe it's still sitting at a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, we're hearing some people throw around phrases like possibly the greatest sci-fi movie ever made, a new bar standard for what sci-fi can be, a master class in filmmaking, like all this kind of stuff, right? Hyping it up to the point that it was very possible I could walk out of the theater being kind of disappointed. We went to go see Dune 2. And it opens with spice or power over spice is power over all. Like, cool, cool. Look, just going to say it. This is one of the best movies ever made. Just going to say it. Now, Look, whether I still feel that way three months from now, once I watch it two or three more times and ponder it a little bit, But as of right now, this to me is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And you know what, Rob? To me, I had the feeling walking out of it that I had the feeling walking out of Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, of thinking I just saw one of the greatest overall examples of the totality of the filmmaking achievement, right? Because you go back to Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I don't think it's necessarily the greatest film of all time, but when you look at the individual achievements of what it did with acting, story, cinematography, directing. Like, I I just had, at that point, I'd never seen a movie that just aced it on every, with all those fronts. And I've said for a long time, I think it's one of the greatest achievements ever in filmmaking history. And I had that same feeling coming out of Dune Part Two. I love the character depth, the intrigue, the mythology building of the first Dune, and which, admittedly, Rob, is not for everybody. A lot of people love explosions and boobies, and and I get that. I and mean, listen, I love, I love my Kellogg's Frosted Flakes kind of movies. I do. I eat I eat them up. I love them. They're great. But every once in a while, too, it's nice to get a hit of something of a dish a little bit more complex, has a little bit more going for it, a little more depth to it. You know what I mean? And there's some people that just like like me the Frosted Flakes, and that's fine. But oh my God, I, I, was, I was simply not prepared for how they were able to take that mythology building to another level. How they were able to take the world building to another level. How they were able to take these wonderfully fascinating characters and give them even more depth and complexity. All while bringing in new characters that just up the game even more. Austin Butler, for example, in this blew my mind. And listen, you—you you guys know I already think that Timothy Chalamet is one of the world's best right now. That I think Timothy Chalamet has the potential to maybe someday be the next Daniel Day Lewis. But he showed me things in this movie even I didn't think he was capable of. Like we all saw this little scene in a trailer when he turns to the Reverend Mother, silence, and is like, "Oh!" And by the way, my theater that I was in last night, when Paul Atreides is like, "Silence," to her, like the whole theater we were in lost their minds.
3: yeah, me too. It was too.
0: a great moment. But there's another scene when he's like addressing the the War Council of the Fremen, and Timothy Chalamet just goes to a level. In that scene of power and intensity that I haven't really seen him do before, the fundamentalists in the South. Oh my God! Like I'm just sitting there, like drooling. Javier Bardem rules in this thing, like so good. Uh, 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 Paul's mother, um, Rebecca.
3: Rebecca Ferguson. Ferguson
0: just th- there's a there's something that I'm not. Some of you know the books, but I'm not going to spoil it. Something happens to her that creates kind of a character shift. In her. And Rebecca nails it. Oh, yeah. So good. Skarsgård as Baron Harkonnen. Crazy good. Then you bring in somebody like Florence Pugh, who played that, that the stalwart princess a little bit. Played it really solid. She's really such great. a goddess. The Anya Taylor-Joy cameo was perfect. And Leah Seydoux. Oh, my, oh my, my God. My Lea Seydoux. As, as another one of the Benny Jesuits. I'm... I, and then the, the, the world being the, the politics, the intrigue. And then let me talk about this. The hand-to-hand combat in this movie. I have not seen the speed and coordination in hand-to-hand combat. What was the dude's name in the 80s? Jeff Speckman? Speakman. Speakman. Remember the, the old Jeff Speakman? Like, that dude was stupid fast. I I haven't seen that kind of speed in hand-to-hand combat sequences. It looked like... When Timothy Chalamet and Austin Butler are... I'm like, holy crap! You know what? It made the Obi-Wan Qui-Gon Darth Maul fight at the end of The Force Awakens, or uh, The Phantom Menace, look like it was in slow motion. Mm -hmm. And it was intense and breathtaking. And... This is just one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And I said this coming out of the uh, theater that, and I didn't have this, I listen, I love the first Dune, but I didn't have this feeling coming out of the first Dune. I came and I said this, every few years, not every couple of months, not every year, but every few years, I see a movie that reminds me of why I love the movies. And Rob, Dune part two is one of these movies that reminds us of why we love the movies and reminds us about how good and powerful and moving and how great the art can be. And it couldn't have come at a better time. I do not think it's going to be for everybody. It's not going to be for everybody. A lot of people don't want thinking movies. They don't. I'm Sorry, that sounded like I'm trying to talk down, and, and I don't mean it, but a lot of people don't want that kind of stuff. They, some people feel that this type of material works better in a book, right? And that's fair. That's fair. It's not going to be for everybody. Not everybody's going to gush it the way I have, but this movie is not perfect, but as near to perfect as a film I have seen in years. And again, Oppenheimer better thank the Oscar gods that Dune moved out of 2023. Cause it wouldn't even be a race. It, and you know, I love Oppenheimer. I love this movie. It is my pick to win best picture. I think it's fantastic. It wouldn't even be a race to me. I I mean, Dune is just such, this is is one of these movies, Rob, I think you and I, if we do some reunion podcast on YouTube 10 years from now, I think we are still going to be talking about Dune 2. Anyway, you had a chance to go into the theater and see it. You and I haven't talked about it since, but what did you think of Dune 2?
3: When I, I, when this movie was over in the theater, I wanted to weep. Because it uh, it took me back to when I was 10 years old and I saw Star Wars for the first time. And the thing about Star Wars that people forget is before Star Wars, there was nothing analogous in cinema history that was yeah. anything like. And what Star Wars did was it created a reality, a science fiction reality that was not possible before because of the filmmaking techniques. And when I think that's why people were so stunned by it then. Now, even though we had Dune 1, which I loved, I know that's not for everybody. John, like everything you said, if anything, you've undersold what this movie <laughs> has done. You know, I always say verisimilitude. There's This is the most, of all the fantasy films, science fiction films ever made, this one has the most verisimilitude. It also, my other favorite word that I don't use nearly enough is gobsmacked. Mm. That's a British word. I love that word. I, I sat in this theater and... Uh, Look, this movie starts, it's a slow burn. It starts out right after Dune 1 ends, like literally right after Dune 1 ends. I was sitting in the theater, dude, I felt like the hand of God reach <laughs> into my soul and give me what it what, what this movie does is it takes the literary, it takes the immersive imagination effect that reading a great science fiction novel does to you and you're watching imagery that matches what's happening in your imagination when you read a book and it shows it to you. You know, it's like when you, when you see a spaceship in a movie pull into orbit around a planet, it could look good in this movie. When it happens, the cosmic grandeur of a giant spaceship moving into orbit around a planet becomes almost a, I felt like I was at a a revival. (laughs) Like the the ultimate Southern Baptist where there's some fiery preacher in the deep South going, and you will feel the presence of the Lord. And I'm like, yes, I do. Because I really feel- like, sit down in front. I know. (laughs) But uh, this film, uh, honest to God, I'm looking at this going, the imagery here, Greg Frazier, you know, I talked to Greg Frazier, I interviewed him on this channel. That's right. You watch the interview. Designing Hollywood. And he's like, he said to me, he's like, you know, I watch this movie and I'm like, I shot this movie. But when I sat down and watched it, I'm like this movie's incredible. <laughs> and I'm like I was like okay, now I get it. I mean I if the DP of this movie who shot it, who shot all these images sat down and was like I can't believe I'm like I don't think this sets a new bar. And I'm thinking John, in terms of Hollywood filmmaking, it made me think of the 50s when they had to compete against television. Mm. And and they made widescreen filmmaking possible. This, this kind of filmmaking is, can compete with AI. You know, we've got the onslaught of AI because I got to tell you, human beings understanding how to work at this scale, everybody that – and Villeneuve, remember, this is his fourth. <laughs> he might be the greatest sci-fi filmmaker ever. Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, Dune 1 and 2. Mm. I mean, he's working he's at making a, level- a case. He's, he's working at a level nobody can work at because in terms of that verisimilitude, in terms of making things feel real, I mean, you see it in the trailer, even when they're under the spice harvester and, and you have uh, 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 one of those giant Harkonnen ships blow up and it's falling and you see him running, you know, it's in the trailer. That shot. Yeah. Tra- when you see it on the screen, I was just Stunning. like, oh my God, I tried to go online last night and do a review of this movie. Like right now, I couldn't even, I couldn't even articulate. I started recording. I couldn't even get a sentence out trying to talk about this movie. And and to me, as a science fiction literature fan, I'm like, oh my God, give Denis Villeneuve all of the science fiction books. Give him Dan Simmons' Hyperion. Give him Arthur Clarke's Rendezvous with Rama. Give him anything. I mean, my God. This movie's unbelievable.
0: (laughs) Here's here's a couple things too I want to mention about, about the film. There may be some, those who are book purists and who know the books very well, Liken unto when Peter Jackson put out the Lord of the Rings. Uh, some of the book purists were blah blah blah. Tom Bombadil, blah blah blah. Erwin yeah. wasn't That's there. That's what the adaptations right? about. Rob and I had a quick discussion this morning, and I mentioned this to Rob that there are for those who know the books, there are going to be a couple of big differences from the books to the movie. Denis Villeneuve made adaptation because he understood. This is not a book that we're sitting down and reading. This is a screen presentation. And I said to Rob this morning, every single change, and I can already hear some of the book there, brah, 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 preborn, brah, 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 you know, the prophecy. Oh, that
3: was great. I love that.
0: Right. And they were so they definitely made changes, but because they needed to make changes because they needed to make the best movie possible. And something in the book worked better in the book, and they made. But Rob, every single one of the changes that they made Dude. from the book, and there's not, there's not a ton of them, but there are some significant ones. Every single change they made from the book made the movie better. And I, and I, how did you feel about that? Uh, I I,
3: I'm with you. I mean, look, everything has to. You have to adapt to make from one medium to another, and you have to really understand. The preborn thing was amazing the heel turn in this movie. And I'll just say the heel turn. Right, yeah. Because for those of you who don't know the story of Dune, there's a big, big, big heel turn. And when you get to that, like you were saying, I'm like, I was going back and the performance, I'm like, oh, but there's one thing that he does. he, When he says something to a character and then turns and does something else with that character he that just talked to, you're going, oh, no. Are you talking at
0: the end in the, yeah, the, the but people room?
3: Dude, the the audience, because I knew
0: it was coming, and I warned Ann. I said in advance, Ann, just so you know, there's something that's going to probably happen near the end of the movie that you might not be too happy with. And we're sitting there, and it happens. Bro. And Ray was there in the theater with me. He can attest to this. I have never heard a gasp in a movie theater. Like, you heard, like, all the air got sucked out of the room because at one moment, everybody in that theater in unison was... <gasps> was, like was shocked because they don't. Know. they didn't know.
3: They didn't know <laughs> and, what's coming. I, and I have to say, somebody brought up the fact. I mean, there's a couple of things in here. Like the the, <laughs> the, the, the end of the movie has a Godfather two esque ending. That's a little different than people might expect. I'm like, because somebody pointed out the the end is perfect because if you remember how Dune one opens. Yep, and then you get to the there's there's one character that is so effed from the from the journey from the journey they take from the beginning of Dune one and I because when I first read the Dune one script it it's it opened differently than the screenplay that I wrote and I was like ah now the fact that the way that Dune one opens and the way Dune two ends I'm like oh my god I was sitting in the theater going wow uh, <laughs> this I, poor character. And can
0: I just mention this too? I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and proclaim Denis is the best director in the world right now. He might be, but I'm not going. I'm not going to say that right now. But I will say this: I don't. When you look at Arrival, when you look at oh, what's the one he did with Hugh Jackman with the with prisoners, the prisoner. When you look at Prisoners, Sicario. When you look at Sicario, when you look at Doom Enemy, one, even in Cindy's, he has. I think he's the best director in the world with with his sense of pacing. Because this movie was damn near three hours long. Slow burn, too. And, and, and yet paced so beautifully that when it ended, I was like, there was no way that movie was that long. But I'm going to say this, Rob. I'm going to say this. I know what happens in Dune Messiah. I don't want him to make Dune Messiah. I do. <laughs> I, I'm, but, but no, no, what I mean is because I don't like Dune Messiah.
3: Right. Well, yeah.
0: But when you understand that the overall... There are many themes to Dune. But one of the big overall themes to Dune is that it's a cautionary tale about messianic figures. Yes. And I just want this to end with Dune Part 2. I don't want them to go where Dune Messiah is going to go. And I think a lot of the audience... I think there're going to be audiences that Dune 2 might be their favorite movie that get really pissed off about Dune Messiah uh, if they don't already know what happens. I them.
3: don't know, man, because I think there's going to be a lot of people that see this as a jih- jihadi call to arms and pro-life. Yeah, 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 until they realize what's coming. You yeah. know, and, and let me ask you one question though. There's sure. one point in this movie and you have to Star Wars is very influenced by Dune. Oh, absolutely. Very influenced by Dune. But there's <laughs> one point in this movie where it just Involuntarily, this is how I don't know what this says about me. In my mind, I heard Yoda say, begun the Clone Wars." Yep. Have I, mean, I, I know exactly and was, the moment and I was sitting there going, and it was I, I'm like, and I loved it. I love that I felt that way. But then I, I mean, my god, dude, this I am so happy I have my Lego Dune Ornithopter because I, <laughs> I, I, I want. I bought Greg Frazier's Dune book of photographs that Josh Brolin wrote that thing, dude. There's a, the art of Dune like this also. To me, this now is a new litmus test for people. I whether whether I like people or not. <laughs> like, if, answer if, me this: if, Do you like? To yeah, it? yeah, it's like oh, if you it, because you need to have a certain level of intellectual acumen, and it, because what this does is these movies. You know, I'm always talking about Neil Realist films of the '60s or Antonioni's movies or whatever. All the cinema that I grew up watching, art films. This is the perfect distillation of literary art film. And just kick ass, unbelievable verisimilitude sci-fi on a level you've never seen. I've dreamt my whole life after seeing Star Wars for the very first time of seeing something like this. Now Dune One, people are like it's not that different than Dune One, but the I, scale, kind of, but is. the scale, yeah, the scale of stuff that you're. I mean, you're getting to the point. Where, I can't, dude. I can't, I'm so. I've seen this movie at seven o'clock in the morning on Friday. <laughs> I can't wait. It can't come soon enough. It's a threat. (laughs) I I just, I love this movie so much. I love what it represented, but it kind of made me sad because uh, you've got Inaratu, you've got Christopher Nolan, you've got Mm. how many people can work at this level? And here's one thing Not many. Not many. uh, I know. And here's, I will say this We now have, I think that like Infinity War and Endgame represent peak comic book. I never thought I'd see anything like those movies in the comic book genre. Right. Science fiction never got to that level for me. Lord of the Rings took the fantasy genre. Yeah. Got it there. To yep. that level. This took science fiction to a level that I've always wanted, that has been promised, that we've never. Star Wars almost got there. I mean, the origin, if, if Star Wars was the only part of the franchise that existed, I would say Star Wars got there too. But then it had all this other stuff after it. But that's been over 40 years. 40 years. This dude, this ups the, if anyone's going to make a science fiction movie now, and you, I I, I love science fiction, but I wouldn't uh, want to be a science fiction director.
0: Let me tell you the other thought and feeling I had coming out. I had this fe- this, this weird feeling about what I, it must have felt like, because it was before our time, but what it must have felt like coming out of seeing, when we're talking scale, epic, master film, coming out of Ben-Hur oh, for the yeah. first time. Or coming out of a Spartacus or a Cleopatra, for the first time, these giant scale where you think, "How on earth did they pull this off?" That's what I felt. Well, they wanted. almost bankrupted you know, the know,
3: studios for those. Yeah. You know what? I I would love to know. Like, okay, you're you're a Warner Brothers executive, right? And the executives have to weigh in on notes. Yeah. You know, I would love to. I would love to have been a fly on the wall. Where there's some meeting with executives after seeing this, and some executive goes, "Well, you know, I had a few notes about character development stuff, and I, I would love to see like David Zaslav go. All right, you call up Denis, you call Denis. and you tell Denis <laughs> what what he. I mean, I can only imagine and for what. All the, we know, maybe Denis did take some notes. He I might mean, have. He all might all have. Know, right. But I just would. I mean, what do you? What do you do? How, when you work at a studio, you're running a studio. What do you do when you see something like this, that your studio is made?
0: You know what you do? You back up a dump truck full of Spanish gold <laughs> to Denise's house and say, please make whatever you want to make. fresh uh, with I, our studio. I, I want to ask Ray, though, because you know Ray is notorious for not being able to hang in with movies for more than 15 minutes. Uh, before He fell asleep during an hour and a half, Madam Web. And Ray was a little <laughs> bit dreading going into this because it was close to three hours. But if you were in my theater, you often heard Ray Orr's voice, ah, like, like Like reacting to this. Ray, this is a nearly three-hour movie. How did you like I, Dune? I, I'm not familiar with the books at all. So everything
1: that happened uh, was a surprise to me. A lot of the things that turned out to be what they ended up being really was like, whoa. Um, I, I like the scale of this movie, first of all. Like like no one's ever made sand so interesting to me. There was a lot <laughs> of just sand, Lawrence whatever of it's Um, I there, there are parts where you know there's story building. There's like a chess match going on between the the two sides, right? The parts I enjoyed the most was it was almost like when the the, the Russian guy in John Wick was like, "Oh, John Wick," and you saw that the when when something's that's so used to being like the powerful is like desperate. Starts desperate, desperation and panic. I loved those parts of the movie where you could see the other side start feeling the pressure. Yeah, pressure. And then on on the other end, you start seeing the other side build, 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 yeah. build. All of that was great. Into like that, the war
0: that happened. And it was so. Huge. I haven't seen anything on screen like that in a long Not time. Not seen Braveheart. Like, honestly, it reminded me there was some stuff in there that reminded me a lot of Bravehearts. Zendaya was
1: the 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 showstopper for me. I love her character. I'm with her all the way through, through if there's another Dune movie, whatever, and the sandworms. I oh, mean, yeah, the worms. Those ugly things. But, man. And you didn't buy the bucket. Uh, no, I didn't. But seeing those things ride through the uh, the desert, it's such, it's, it's like a fantastic site. I would now, have that as a screensaver.
3: Can I also say, I gotta, I gotta give it up because, you know, I love female characters in movies. I fall in love with just a few in movies, like Grace Kelly in Rear Window. I wish I could have met that character in real life, but she's fictional. She doesn't exist. So I never could. Florence Pugh is Princess Irulan. So cool. When she shows up in full-on Princess Benny Gesserit garb in the, the chain mail, you know, I'm looking at this going, uh, she's a goddess level. Uh, when she walks up, I mean, she's an Oppenheimer. She was great in Oppenheimer, and I've always loved Florence Pugh, but my God, and I love her as Yelena in in uh, in. She'll Be Great in Thunderbolts. But when she shows up there, I'm like, that is one powerful woman. She carries a classic Hollywood
0: power and presence and elegance all at the same time, every moment she's on screen in this.
1: My God. And, 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 and Austin Butler was such a threat in that movie. Oh, my God. Like, uh, when he came on, I was like, ooh. And was- the
0: Dave Batista character was handled perfectly. Right, right, like, right. Like,
3: absolutely
0: perfectly. And anyway, listen, we've gone yeah. on for almost
3: a half hour. Dude. I uh, Talking about this. So let's go on for we, another we, hour, because it makes you feel good.
0: Yeah, I'm probably going to have to do an open spoiler discussion this weekend. I think this weekend, uh, at some point, once it's open publicly and everybody has a chance to see it, I'll have to do an open spoiler discussion, maybe on Sunday, uh, for this. Because we can just talk for hours and hours and hours and hours on this, because it's just that damn good. Again... I'll preface it, no movies for everybody, and that includes Dune 2. I am not guaranteeing you're going to love it because not every movie is for everybody. It's one of the best movies ever made. Uh, 100%. And put them together. Oh, Uh, and and I said that coming out. I was like, I cannot wait for this movie to be on HBO so we can literally set a Saturday aside, sit down, and just watch part one and part two back to back. You could for sure because,
2: like, Lord of the. I mean, um, Return of the King, the extended edition, is about the same amount of time between these two.
3: I wish, because there's deleted scenes, I wish New would put these together as one epic five-hour thing and put deleted scenes in there. I would watch this thing forever. They probably will. All right. Guys, with that down, we're now going
0: to move on to the most important part of our show, which is hearing from you guys, your thoughts, theories, opinions, questions, and observations. But before we do, we're going to take another quick moment here and thank another sponsor of the John Campus Show today, I'm wearing these things right now. Our friends at The Perfect Gene. Hey guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, The Perfect Jean. Guys, are you tired of the rough and rigid jeans crushing your boys? Well, today's sponsor, The Perfect Jean, finally solved all of your denim difficulties. They make great-looking, perfect-fitting jeans that are as comfortable as sweatpants. The secret? A special denim fabric that is super soft and has the perfect amount of stretch so you can squat, do yoga, or just sit around all day without ever having to take them off. I'm going to admit I was a little bit skeptical because to me, jeans have always been jeans. They're pre- practical but not always the most comfortable. But I'm telling you guys it's not an exaggeration. Once I put on these jeans, The Perfect Jean redefined what jeans can be to me. They're the perfect fit, they stretch, they breathe, and again, they're just insanely comfortable. So guys, it's finally time to stop crushing your balls in uncomfortable jeans by going to theperfectjean.nyc/campia15. Our listeners get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Free returns and free exchanges when you use code campia15 at checkout. Again, that's 15 percent offer new customers at the campia 15 and use the code campia 15 after you purchase they'll ask you where you heard about them please support the john campus show and tell them we sent you and thank you to our friends at the perfect gene for sponsoring today's episode of the john campus show podcast all right guys with that down somebody in the live chat just said the balls must flow uh yeah by the way my one disappointment never heard anybody in the dune movie say the spice must flow a little disappointing. Anyway, guys, with that all down, let's get on to the main thing here, which is hearing from
2: you. Jonathan, what do we got up? We got one second here. Uh why is it not connecting to this? Because I closed the stupid screen in the last second. So just give me a second here.
1: You know, let me let me talk about the atmosphere we walked into that Dune 2. That thing was packed. That thing was packed. Oh, the
2: theater was, I was love
1: crazy the, packed. I love the fanfare. There's people in costumes just like Anne. Yep. And I'm like, there's a following
0: for this, this whole property. Yeah, by the so- way, before, as Jonas is working on bringing up the question, I still don't know how this will do at the box office. Because, again, you know, we, we we talked a few shows ago about how, um, you know, so could this be the new Star Wars? I said, I don't think it can be the new Star Wars because it's not – it's not for kids. It's not a popcorn film for everybody, yeah. There's right? nothing flashy. Just There's a, nothing flashy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different. So I don't, I don't expect Dune is going to be a billion-dollar film or anything like that because it's not going to be for everybody. But that's okay. Some of the best movies every year don't necessarily do great at the box office. All right. We're ready to go. Let's get to it. Yeah. What's up? Oh, we got Dildar the Glorious who writes, Dune needs more cowbell. I kid you not. Ray was pulling up so many videos um, it needs more cowbell. So many Christopher Walken <laughs> videos this morning. So many Christopher Walken videos this morning.
2: All right, what's next? We got uh, uh James Germain who says, "Uh, hey guys, last week Halo was crazy. Keep it filthy."
0: I still have to. There's a couple things I need to watch. I have to watch House of Ninjas. <laughs> Haven't started that yet. I'm still only one episode into Avatar: The Last Airbender. And I've, I'm have i still only watched the first two episodes of this season of Halo. Man, and I am beating you for
1: Yeah, the first time. Well, Ann
0: and I went away for yeah. the long weekend for, for the birthday. I'm halfway stuff. through so, House
1: of Ninja. I'm two episodes from finishing Avatar. And man, that last episode of Halo has to be the best episode out of.
0: See, I can't wait because yeah. I thought the first two episodes were definitely uh, better than last season. So we'll see. All right. What's next?
2: We got TJ Perry who says Paul Atreides in part two. Let's see. Oh, went Super Saiyan in part two. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just look
0: again. I'm just going to tell you guys. You, you get a glimpse of it in the trailer, but there's a scene where Paul Atreides goes before the Fremen War Council, and he acts his ass off and creates this pres- Like To me, Rob, that was the scene where we met the uh horse shack hack a shack whatever it is the <laughs> messianic
3: is that rock? That's it, what he it right
0: does sound klingon yeah. yeah but where we meet muadib was in that scene and it it's one of the best scenes i've seen in the movie in ages and just timothy chalamet just owns the screen in that scene it's so good so,
2: so good. good i like his phrasing when he says he went super saiyan so it kind of does in yeah. many ways all right what's next we got David Aaron who says, uh, "While visually stunning for me, Dune Part One, good, not great. I had ever read the book, or I, yeah, I had ever read the book. Uh, do you think uh, I would still find Part Two so incredible? I
0: don't know. What What did he say about Dune it, One?
2: It never not did good not really work for him, but he's you never know what? read. That's
0: it. probably
1: my 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 same impression as I went into Dune Two. I say give, I say go watch it. You might find something in there. I mean, I." I uh, the, the pacing of it was great because there's every, when it went a little bit slow, something would happen where it'd be like, I, oh, never, thought, I
0: never felt it was slow. And
1: I only say slow because I get confused a, a lot, like in like backstories in sci-fi. So anytime that happens, I like my mind sort of wanders off, but then it would bring me back into the story. Like it would bring me back. I, I like the way it, he did that. Um, that then even the new, whatever yes. his name is. Exactly.
2: <laughs> All right. What's next? We got DJ Productions. Did you get a chance to see the trailer for Horizon, the American Saga? Um, do you think it looks like it was worth Costner putting Yellowstone on hold? Look, let's be clear. Horizon had nothing
0: to do with the drama at Yellowstone. Yellowstone, which I still think is one of the best shows on TV. I love that show so much. Uh, it was other stuff that caused it. I didn't think the trailer was all that good. Really? It it felt like a 1990s
3: ABC miniseries. See, as a Western fan, I thought it had epic scope. I'm really excited. The
0: cinematography looked good.
3: I I I, I can't because look, this is coming from Open Range Man. This I is coming Open from Range. the man who made Dances with Wolves.
0: Yeah, listen, I love Costner.
3: I, I do too. A, I'm think a I think
0: staunch Costner defender. I what can I tell you? I just didn't think the trailer looked all that interesting. Is this Paramount too? Uh, I don't I mean, think I'm so. It, no, no. I I I think it's
3: Warner yeah, Brothers. The, Yeah, I I think think it's it's Warner Brothers Brothers too.
0: But listen, there have been lots of movies that I end up loving that I didn't like the first trailer, right? The first trailer is just a a tease, right? It's an announcement, really. So, you know, we'll see. I I didn't think the trailer was all that great, but the movie might be fantastic. And listen, I'll always, I'll give Pa Kent a shot every single time. Yeah. Every time. John Dutton, (laughs) damn right. All right, what's
2: next? We got Exotic Runts who says, uh, do you think Dune will still win Best Picture and is it uh, Anne's new favorite movie? Remember I said that Dune
0: Part 1 became Anne's second favorite movie of all time? She's now said that when you combine Dune 1 and 2, it is now her all-time favorite. Um, As far as winning Best Picture, it's far too early. But Rob, I will say this. I have a hard time imagining another movie that's better than this can come out this year. And if another movie comes out this year that is better than Dune Two, what a year! I mean, it would be awesome if another movie. I mean, I would love it. Like, like John, I bet you love Dune Two so much. You probably hope that another. But no, 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 no. I'm a movie fan. If another movie can come out that's even better, awesome. But Rob, right now I'll say I have a hard time imagining this movie not. They might as well start engraving Dune on the next year's Oscars right now. As I have a hard time believing it's going to be Yeah, I mean, talk. in terms
3: of, look, there's going to be a lot of people who are science fiction fans who aren't necessarily going to embrace, embrace this movie. And I, I can I understand that a lot of people, this does not have the pulp joy mm. of watching a, a, a lightsaber ignite or seeing Yoda fight the emperor or whatever. It doesn't have that. It's a different thing. But it it's working on a level that is so high that in terms of what a best picture should be, I absolutely think, because it has a lot to say as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, I like you, John, I can't imagine, this is the return of the king. If he makes a second one, if he does, I mean, makes Doom Messiah, it's a different thing. But he deserves to win. Everybody deserves to win all the awards for this movie because it is such a triumphant uh, it takes where film cinema is today to the umpteenth level in terms of an art form. No one is working at this level, and it deserves everything.
0: By the way, a quick trivia question for you: There is a screen version of Dune Messiah already. It was the Sci-Fi Channel's mini-series. Right yeah, yeah, Dune Messiah. That's my favorite. Dune <laughs> I don't. Messiah I don't right think there. that's it.
3: <laughs> no, do but you right. remember who played? Clue? Do
0: you remember who played Paul <laughs> Atreides' <laughs> son? in Dune Messiah on the Sci-Fi Network? Uh, James McAvoy. Yes, a very young-looking James McAvoy played Paul Atreides' I, son in that. I have no problem banking that
1: this is going to win Best Costume and Best Visual Effects for the next
0: Best one. Visual Effects, Best Costume.
2: That's
1: that. Best, I think that's like, almost a... Sh- yeah,
0: there's going to be a whole bunch of technical
1: awards. Uh, I hands, can't even
2: imagine, like, no sound, sound editing. Oh, yeah. Come no, on. it's... Yeah, it's going to win all the technical awards. You know what?
0: It could be the next... Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. At the Oscars, because you remember, Lord of the Rings Return of the King got nominated in 11 categories, and it swept all 11. I don't know if the number will be 11, but I could see something similar to that happening at next year's Oscars.
3: It also makes me want to buy stock in in IMAX, because I think that this film, the thunderous sound, again, Hans Zimmer, the sound team on this film, just like in Dune 1, it's just... Insane. I mean, you can watch the clip of Paul riding the worm on the internet and be like, okay. But when you're seeing it in, it, it's like I can feel the, the dust in my mouth. In the yeah, laughing. The sand that. in my <laughs> mouth. It gets Sorry. everywhere. It's coarse Sorry. and it hurts my hair. Can
1: you not phrase it that way from now on? <laughs>
2: <laughs> watching him ride the worm I mean, on I the internet. The, watching him ride I'll the, I'll the worm. All right, <laughs> what's <my> next? <laughs> uh, we got uh, Amin. Says, <laughs> you people. Uh, Amin. Amin says. I'm hesitant to give it a perfect score without further reflection and a second viewing, but it's truly a cinematic triumph if Return of the King is peak fantasy, uh, which you spoke about, Rob. Dune 2 is peak sci-fi, in my opinion. When you think about
0: what... Because, Rob, we've had this discussion a couple times about what is real sci-fi. This is. Right? Not every outer space movie is sci-fi. Right. Right? (laughs) That's awesome. This is the... This is the prophecy of what sci-fi filmmaking can be in its purest form, you know what I mean? And you and I talked about this after the first Dune, but now after the second Dune too, I remember saying to you before, after Dune 1, I can't imagine this book being brought to the screen any better. Like, I I didn't even think it was possible to do it this well. How are you feeling about that? after? I
3: I completely agree. I mean, this is the third version. You mentioned the sci-fi miniseries, which I just got on on disc in a big box set and Lynch's Dune, which I've, I like for its weirdness and all that. But there's this is so far beyond. And here's the thing. I don't know, how do you make another sci-fi? If I was a director and I was working in, uh, and I was hired by a studio to make a science fiction book adaptation, I don't even know where to begin. After you look at something like this, the bar is set so high. And you know what? That's
0: exactly what happened after Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Because I remember a lot of film fans thought, well, with the success of Lord of the Rings, we're going to see all these sorcery and sandal movies. Mm. But what actually happened was filmmakers <laughs> looked at <it> and said, <laughs> nah. We're going to get compared to that. <laughs> yeah. And no, thank you. And I wonder if that might happen now with Dune 2, with some people going, uh, yeah, I don't want to get compared
3: I, to it. I mean, you, you can't. I mean, Cameron obviously created his own world with Pandora, which is amazing. And for yeah. what he's doing, that was amazing too. The Avatar movies are amazing. But this, my God, man. I, I don't even know. I, I You know what? I wish, I would love to see a Star Trek movie done with this kind of <laughs> scope.
1: Eventually someone's going to have to move please, the bar. Please, really. Yeah, listen, really. it, Eventually. It, it,
0: sometimes it takes a generation, but the bar always does get moved. But this is it right now. We're
2: living in that moment right now. All right, what's next? We got... Uh, Ron H., who says, finished House of Ninjas over the weekend. Definitely left me wanting more. Hope Netflix gives it a season two. Now,
3: you watched House of Ninjas, right? I haven't finished it. You haven't, haven't finished it, But, but it's so before. I love it so much. Ray, you've
2: been watching
0: it too? I haven't finished it. Again. Are you liking it? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Fun. It's fun. How many really episodes?
3: Fun. I think
1: it's ten. Okay. 10. I'm in five. I got five. So right. you're about halfway
2: through. Yeah. All right. What's next? Um... Matin Valensky says, uh, do you think uh, that on top of bad movie fatigue, Marvel could also have snark fatigue? I could see audiences uh, being sick of irony and cynicism, which make them feel it uh, isn't honest about itself. No,
0: I really don't. Like, that type of thing is like any other tool. Like, audiences aren't tired of jokes. They're tired of jokes that don't work. Audiences aren't tired of fights. They're tired of fights that aren't exhilarating and thrilling. Audiences aren't tired of plot twists. They're tired of plot twists that don't actually go anywhere and don't make logical sense, which would have been presented in the movie earlier. Snark says all that kind of stuff can be tools in a filmmaker's belt and can be used well or be- or, or wrong. It's just, it look, it, everybody keeps looking for formula. Is it this? Is it that? Look, at the end of the day, it's just about making a good movie. That's all the audiences care about. They just want a good movie. If you create a movie, it doesn't care if it's about Lego building blocks or superheroes or 1950s world leaders. If you tell a compelling story, get us attached to the characters, and then just rivet us through a narrative, we'll be on board with whatever tools you choose to use. There, It is just a matter of mediocrity fatigue, and they got to start turning that around. All right, what's next?
2: Uh, we got uh, Dildar the glorious. Um, <laughs> it's got acolytes. Uh, it's what midi chlorians crave. Did I do it right? Get it? Instead of instead of it's got electrolytes. <laughs> idiocracy for the that's an idiocracy
0: thing. By the way, Rob doesn't see uh, the other though. day. We found out acolyte. they say it might be uh, July fifth, or was it a June fifth? June or July fifth? Well, one of the two mm, might be a release date for acolytes. I, the Acolyte, I'm getting very excited about that. It's it's one of the only Star Wars things out there right now that I'm actually legitimately excited about. So hopefully that can be good.
2: All right, what's next? Christopher Brickner says, uh, the new live service uh, game Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, came out. It is not doing great to the point that WB had to say it is underperforming. Yeah, uh, listen,
0: I... There are some people again. This is the same thing saying, "Wow, you know, David Zaslav, Warner Brothers, they bought the video game." Remember, this game was in development, halfway made, long before Discovery bought Warner Brothers. This is not one of their things. This is a totally just like the Flash movie was not one of the Discovery Warner Brothers things. It was the old stuff. So we're still living in that era. We'll see, but it is. I haven't played the game myself, but I'm hearing some pretty mediocre things about it. I watched the
1: cinematic. I, I'm not going to lie because I didn't want to feel. I didn't feel like playing through the whole game. I actually was quite entertained by it. So, just the cinematic part. Maybe the game is horrible. Um, but uh, to get back, it's June fifth is the accolade.
2: It's June, not July. Yeah. Okay, so here's uh, coming up. Cannot wait. All right, what's next? Ron H says, "Hey, John and crew. Okay, so you kind of liked Dune too, but the real question is, did you get that bucket? We didn't. I thought Ray was going to buy it, but Ray. We, we were in the oh, you guys car. Were share." Driving
0: home, and he bro- we all realized Ray didn't buy the bucket, and he said, I was embarrassed to buy it.
1: Yeah. I'm like, but everybody's buying it. Well, yeah. no one wants extra butter. I was going to ask for extra butter. <laughs> no popcorn. <laughs> just, just, just a
2: big, Our
3: very last of warm butter. I it, Ray,
1: <laughs> I want to fill it up with Kleenex. That's all I need. <laughs> you know, I got to oh, tell you, John, I really yeah, wanted I'm to sorry. get that
3: bucket and be part of the band, but after seeing this movie, I don't want to ever diminish the film and by buying the bucket I feel like I'm I'm making a joke out of it and I don't want to do that. I prefer to have my Lego ornithopter which you I'm going to build today. why I
0: didn't today. buy it. Cuz we were we were literally running late cuz we went to have yep. dinner first, uh, the group of us went to have dinner and we were pushing it. So I ordered my snacks in advance on the app. So he just ran and grabbed my uh, my snacks were there waiting for me to go. I didn't get in, in a line to buy the bucket or anything. I, you know, I'm gonna go see the movie. Anna and I already have tickets to see it on job. Thursday. I'm gonna get the bucket yeah. if they're not sold out. Yeah. I get didn't the buy. even think bucket. it was on sale yet. That's why it wasn't even on
1: the app. So get the bucket. And
0: then I'm gonna create an OnlyFans page just for my Dune Two bucket. Only buckets. Yeah. Just yeah, only it, my, my my Dune Two bucket is gonna have its own OnlyFans page.
2: All right, what's next? Renetta W says, Hiya, oh yeah, everyone." Hey, and by the way, Renetta uh, sent
0: in a $20 yep. super
2: chat. Thank you, Renetta. Hey. Uh, happy Monday over the hot mic with Roka and Snyder. They mentioned Daniel Craig as the Dr. Doom recommendation. I really liked it even better than Henry Cavill in the role Thoughts Too Old, he's 55. Doom is supposed to be older. Yeah, I I don't I don't listen,
0: I love Henry Cavill. There's many things I think he'd be great to play. I still think he should be the next James Bond, even after the Argyle debacle. Um I heard the Daniel Craig thing. I think Daniel Craig... Look, my number one thing would still be Mads Mickelson. I would still love to see Mads, but I understand why you can't really do that. I think Daniel Craig would be a great Doctor Doom. Again, look, all that matters is do you get a really good actor? That's all that matters. And so Daniel Craig, I believe, is a great actor. Rob, we've bandied around some names and stuff. Like that. what? What? like I mean, I don't know that it's actually going to be Daniel Craig, but if it were... Would you be down with Daniel Craig? After? Yeah,
3: I like that idea because he can bring power and imposition to 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 that role, and I I do think he could he could play that. Why not? Absolutely, hundred percent.
2: Right. What's next? Uh, Suthius says, make sure, yeah, Suthius. I love how Avatar is just as fin- fantastical retelling of China's reign and conquer. Uh, Lol. I also love how o- Omashu is pretty much the Singapore of this world, where it's a hodgepodge of different Asians. There's a listen, there was
0: so much going on in that first animated thing and, and especially talking about that aspect. I remember, and this is going to be weird because everybody knows how much I hated the M Night version of Avatar, but but I remember a couple of years ago I sat down and watched it again. The M Night version of Avatar And while it was every bit as dreadful as it was my first viewing, there were a few things I noticed that made me go, that's interesting. Like, there were a couple things that M. Night was going for in his version of Avatar that I recognized my second viewing. I thought, you know what? That was a really interesting thing to go for. And the way he was kind of modeling the world that I thought, that was actually really interesting. It failed. It failed. Horribly failed what he was trying to do. It failed, but it was interesting that he tried. Um, and so, as much and as awful as that is, I'm just going in, in what you're talking about that context. I thought M Night tried to do a couple of interesting things. It failed terribly, but I thought it was interesting that he tried. Did you ever watch that M Night Avatar: The Last Airbender one? Oh yeah, you feel about the same way. I, I, to- you <laughs> know, I,
3: I don't understand. I look at Lady in the Water, uh, his version of Airbender, and the Happening. Oh yeah, those three movies. I, I've never seen a filmmaker go off the rails that way, How and make you? me go from a filmmaker. His first three movies, I really liked a lot. You didn't even mention The Village. The Village was halfway. I, yeah, the, the Village they're, was halfway there. Yeah. Right?
0: I, I didn't mind The Village.
3: Yeah, just I had knew. a
0: very predictable ending. His uh,
1: yeah. recent stuff has been okay. Old, yeah, because he's on yeah. the other. Oh no, listen. Oh, what?
3: did you see that trailer last night for his new movie? Which what one? The movie? Watchers. No, I did not know. I don't know what that movie's about, but I'm like, I'm in. I gotta watch. That I'll movie. watch that. I did not, the but I was just say, you
0: know what? His turnaround kind of really started. Which came first, um, split the chicken. or the visit?
3: The visit. The, okay. Vi- the visit was his 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 revival when the Sham Hammer right. was dropped again.
0: The visit was the was his first kind of comeback movie. Which he did with Blumhouse that we didn't because remember he did that one. Well, he wasn't the director; he was the executive producer, and he kind he was the controlling producer of Devil. Yep, which which, was, which I liked. Really? I liked I it. I thought it was terrible, <laughs> but I'm glad you liked it. I liked it. But then he did The Visit Um, with uh, Catherine Haunt, who's in that, by the way. And I remember it was the first time in a long time that I watched an M. Night movie and I went, you know what? This isn't that bad. This is actually pretty good. Yeah. And then he continued on that with The Visit and the one he just did on the beach. Old. Old. old not his best film based no, on a graphic bad, novel but but interesting interesting what he was doing he's i hope he can continue with and and i hated the cabin. glass i didn't like glass I, I thought glass was a it was
3: just i love split though Yes, yeah, split, split was, was, awesome. was
0: fantastic glass was a bit of a sling in uh
3: this new trailer for they put, yeah for I, the watchers I, i'm like wow it's based on a book by i don't remember who but count me in all right. all right
2: what's next Sanchez Guy says, hey, guys, do you know Turner Classic Movies? Absolutely. Also, what are your favorite classic movies? You know, remember Alicia Malone at AMC who used to work with us there? She's hosted on uh, Turner Classic Movies. Yeah, she used to do that. And
0: I think they had it. Wasn't there another one where Adam, the guy who owns Doghouse, and I'm forgetting the name of the other girl who used to do some work with us. She would pop on as a guest frequently. Is talking about Mary? What? Was it Miriam? No. No? Nod? No. And not Alicia. I can't remember. We had a lot of people come yeah. and go
2: working with us today and yeah. seeing clutter. Anyway. My favorite classic movie is uh, is uh uh Casablanca.
3: Yeah. It's Casablanca. one of my
2: favorite movies, period.
3: All about Sunset Boulevard, all about Eve. I mean, there's a million. It depends on how far Double back you indemnity. got to go
0: for classic. Yeah. yeah. So, like, some people might say Godfather, but then others say, no, you got to uh, go about I'd probably say Lawrence of Arabia.
2: Yeah. I'd say pre-New Hollywood, which would be the 60s back.
3: Yeah. Or or the 90s, say New Hollywood begins with Lawrence of Arabia or something. Right. But some, yeah. you know.
2: All right. What's next? All right. We got uh, Damaris Love, who says, Dune yesterday and Shogun tomorrow, talking about or uh, a happy ending. John, bring on the field. Shogun
0: launches tomorrow, man. I, can't, I know, dude.
2: I'd I, like... I'm like, what did I do to be this
0: lucky? I got to see Dune two last night, and I'm finally gonna get a new live action Shogun, which I am losing my mind over. Like, I I I cannot wait um, for this, and I'll definitely be doing an after show of it on Wednesday. So, and I don't care if nobody else watches. If it's me and six six others of you hanging around Wednesday as we do an open spoiler discussion of
2: (laughs) Dune, or I mean, of, of, of a Shogun, feel free. This is the comment of the day right here. Casablanca mid. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: Tell us you know nothing about film without yeah. saying you yeah. know nothing your, your about film. Yeah, your
3: education level's mid, buddy. Come on.
0: <laughs> okay, what's next? All right. PR. And by me. the way, I'm, of course, joking. We're joking around, too, obviously.
3: obviously. Yes. I mean, you know, everybody's opinions are subjective. Yeah. All right. A lot of opinions are wrong. <laughs> but what's
2: next? Uh, PR says I was uh, tear bending at Zuko uh, Iro-, Iro. I always Iro. say it wrong. Iro. Uh, Wake and uh, boat flashback scenes with orchestral rendition of Soldier Boy coming home playing in both scenes. I'll I'll just, I was, you know, I still haven't seen the live action because I've only seen episode one. But I talked
0: last week about this. That episode with Soldier Boy come home with Uncle Iroh is like one of the most emotionally moving moments and scenes and, and segments, I guess you could even call it, that I'd ever seen in an animated project i actually put it on level with the opening of up telling the story wow. of the couples they got older yeah, and then good. him losing like i put it on that level it was just absolutely beautiful moving i can't wait to watch the live action version of that all right what's next
2: Just <laughs> looking at you mid he's looking at you mid <laughs>
0: all right
2: um, we got jim seeley who says Please talk about away dolls. Also, reports of Gladiator 2 being way over budget and animal cruelty on set. I don't like either of those things.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I
2: haven't seen driveway dolls, and apparently
0: nobody else did either because it debuted with like $2 million on its opening weekend. Although, you can totally tell looking at the trailers, this is not made to be a blockbuster by right. any stretch of the imaginations. I've liked the trailers. I think it's an interesting looking movie. Again, I was at a very busy weekend, um, but it was... Um, yeah, it was it was really good. Actually, you know, I should see if I can pull something up here. I'll, I'll do that in a minute. But uh, so I have, didn't have a chance to see it, but I do want to go see it. As far as reports from, I mean, I don't know. I haven't really read anything, and I never know how valid the reports are and stuff like that. I do know that they are very excited about how the movie has turned out. They seem to be super pumped about how the movies turned out. So uh, we'll have
2: to wait and see. All right, what's next? All right, uh, we got. Oh, Hank Pym, who says, uh, John, as somebody who has seen Madam Web twice, I can assure you that you don't need to rewatch it.
0: (laughs) That's interesting. You know, I can't bring up what I was going to bring up. uh, But one of the things I did this weekend that Anna and I did, because we did a lot of stuff I wanted to do this weekend. How was you two in the sphere? We didn't go. What? 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 Yep, we didn't go. Uh, The way we get tickets these days is we use the Vivid app. And whether it's sporting events, concerts, whatever, here's the secret to Vivid: the longer you wait, the prices come down because people haven't sold their tickets yet, so they start dropping their prices. Right? I'll give you an example of this. We went to go see uh, Bad Bunny. We, we went to go see Bad Bunny this weekend. Right. We got a private VIP suite. That the tickets were going for 400 bucks a piece. We waited until the day before the show. Got him for one hundred and thirty three. Wow! Right? We often do that for Lakers games, Kings games, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right? So that was going to be the plan, also for you too. The difference between Bad Money and
2: you two? Well, what's the difference? About thousand dollars a ticket. Right. Plus, it was in that dome. I mean, is <laughs> that dome? Yeah, it was in the dome. But dome.
0: we expected the prices to come down. But you know what they did? They went up. Yep. Because people couldn't. They couldn't keep, keep t- the moment a ticket became available, people were buying, so the price went up. So it started as like a thousand dollar ticket, yeah, ended up at like the day before the show to be like fifteen hundred dollars a ticket. And I'm like, you know what? I've seen you two about five times. You better
2: meet Bono for that,
0: yeah. uh, yeah. I better have coffee with Bono for that. <laughs> I, I've seen you two live five times. Hey, John, I'm like, you know, we can take a pass, Sleep and we had some other Bono. things we could do too, so we took a pass. So I, so we saw the Leafs. Beat the Golden Knights, trounce the Golden yeah. Knights in Vegas, which was awesome. By the way, Toronto Maple Leaf fans, best fans in the world. There were as many Leaf fans in Vegas as there were Las Vegas Golden Knight fans. Good, it was crazy. Good, good. So we did that. We went to a couple of clubs. Uh, we went to the Bad Bunny. I've, I've got to say this about the Bad Bunny thing. I have never been to a concert where I didn't understand a single thing that was being sung or said. I speak no Spanish. Little French, little Italian. I speak no Spanish. It was a thoroughly entertaining show, man. That dude, and you know what? else? I don't like concerts when it's artists performing to tracks. There's no band. There was no band there. Oh, right. There There was once, there was a part of the show, the opening, show, where he had like a 25-piece orchestra on another part of the stage playing with the tracks, but that was only for about three or four songs, and then the rest of it was just some DJ somewhere hitting a play button and him rapping to the music. I don't like that. But it didn't matter. This dude like oozes charisma. Like he he put on a thumper of a show. Um and it was it was dynamic and it was thrilling and exciting. Did a lot of interesting things stage-wise. I knew you'd come around to El Muerto. I still don't think he should be El Muerto. No, you do. But, I know I don't. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but holy crap, man! That dude puts on a show for hours, and it was it. I had a hell of a good time, man. I had a really good time at the Bad Bunny concert. I would go again. I would go again, not for U two fifteen hundred dollars, but right. I would go again for the two hundred <laughs> bucks, hundred and thirty bucks ticket. I would do that. All right, what's next?
2: Uh, Sveen says, currently doing a rewatch of the classic cartoon series, The Animals of Farthing Wood. Has anyone of you, or has anyone of you seen it? I had forgotten how brutal the show was at times. Wait a second. Is this the one with the little rabbits? It's a British, it's a British cartoon. Because
0: I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking of a movie, not a TV series. There was a movie about, like, Little Water Rabbits. Watership Down. That's yeah, it. That's- if, if you don't want your kids to develop a drug problem, don't let them watch that because they're going to need th- – that's a horrifying, horrifying, special, beautiful, yes, but also very uncomfortable kind of thing. But, no, I don't remember this show at all. Do you remember this this one? No, I've never seen I've it. Never I've never heard of it. Never
2: heard of it myself yeah. either. Inter- but thanks for putting it on the radar, man. All right, what's next? We got Raymond Verada who says, uh, it's the weekend of the non-TV award shows. Uh, congrats to surprise winners, uh, Pedro Pascal, Lily Gladstone for their SAGs, Past Live, Celine Song, and Jeffrey Wright for Spirit Awards, uh, Oppenheimer for PGA.
0: Yeah, the Spirit Awards also happened, which are pretty good. And the PGA Awards, uh, the, which is the Producers Guild of America, they gave uh, Producers of the Year to Oppenheimer uh, for that one. So no, another good win for Oppenheimer there. Again, thank the Oscar gods that Dune moved out of 2023, man, because we'd be having very different discussions right now. All right, what's next?
2: Kyle Schneider says, saw Dune Part 2 last night, and I'm blown away. The only thing that sucks going to an early showing is having to wait until Thursday to see it again. I said the exact same
0: thing. We got in the car. I said to Ann, let's get tickets for tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, wait, we can't.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
0: Shit. You can.
1: You just- <laughs> yeah, I should
0: be pretending to watch it. Uh, we
2: got our tickets for Thursday, though. We're at the moment this thing opens up in theaters again, I'm going to go again. All right, next. Uh, DZ Studios finally watched Oppenheimer on Peacock last night. That's the best way to watch it. I wholeheartedly regret not seeing it in theaters. <laughs> yeah, listen,
0: I, I mean, it's not one of those movies like a Top Gun, like a Lord of the yeah. Rings. I guess you could get away like with it. Like Dune, where you're going to have a double the experience watching it on the big screen. It's it's perfectly enjoyable in a, in a home theater setting. But you will get more out of it if you saw it on the big screen. And, you know, I'm sure they'll do a re-release of it maybe shortly after. Although, you know, AMC Theaters does their Oscar showcase every yeah. year. So when the Oscars come around, you'll get an opportunity to run out to the theater scene on the big screen if you want. All right. What's next?
2: Um, let's see. We got Bodie Ramsey who says, I saw Dune last night and thought it was incredible. A lot of changes from the book, yeah. but I thought they served the movie well. Some were improvements I literally thought every single one was an improvement now again not that it would
0: be an improvement if they changed it in the book right but for the present for a visual presentation 100%. they he he made all the changes that made for a better flowing story and that's great adaptation that is fabulous adaptation again proving Rob that the job of a filmmaker is not to be as close as possible to the source material but rather make the best movie possible. And it doesn't even
2: have to be one over the other. Denis de Villeneuve found a way to do both. Adaptation. Adaptation, my friend. All right. What's next? Michael Brocky says anyone else notice how superheroes in shows are so uh, more perfectly casted than the movies? Charlie Cox, Grant Gustin, Stephen Amell, just to name a few. I disagree. I, don't I know. do too.
0: Yeah. No, I don't disagree with Captain that. Captain America.
3: At all. I mean, that's pretty much perfect casting. Hemsworth the Thor. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. is Tony was, Stark. Uh, that's Tony Stark. Henry Cavill uh, is Superman.
0: Yeah, no, I I I don't agree I never at all. Listen, that. <laughs> I, I love Stephen Amell. Good Canadian kid by the way. I love Stephen Amell. Um, uh, but but he, but Stephen, and I think Stephen will be the first one to tell you this. He grew into the role, right? Like Stephen mm-hmm. Amell was not the strongest actor when Arrow started. And I remember when I was a big big fan of the show and I would talk even like around season 3 I was like you're really seeing him develop. Like you're seeing him grow to Grant Gustin was great, but that was he was great for a certain iteration of Flash. Like I like I want I loved the Flash show for the first four or five seasons loved the show. But I never would have seen him as the movie version of Flash. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah, I'm gonna have to disagree. I mean, it, again, your opinion is no less valid than mine. I, I just disagree. I, I I don't I don't feel the same way you do on that. But it's an interesting observation. All right, what's next?
2: Uh, Bodhi just gives us some support for ten dollars though. But thank, thank you, Bodhi. Um, and then Victor you says, "I saw a fan screening of Dune Two last night. It left me speechless. It had me on the edge of my seat the entire time, giving me goosebumps and chills all over. Pure cinema. What a masterpiece!" And I don't disagree with anything you just said. I,
0: you know, I, when's the last time I came out of the movie that said, "I think I just saw one of the greatest movies I've ever seen"? How long's it been since I said that? I can't remember. I honestly don't remember the last time I said that. And and that is what I legitimately feel about this movie. Um, where would rank for me on the all-time great movies? I need six months, a year to pass to really let it simmer and think about that. But I just I walked out of that theater and just my God, I, I Thank you. go ahead. Stop no, no, here. no, we were you gonna say I I was just gonna say, thank God, Sonic
1: Three moved to November.
0: (laughs) And then the next greatest movie of all time. (laughs) And yes, Jonathan just brought up a a comment from somebody like Javier Bardem. Listen, we're gonna talk a lot about Austin Butler and Florence Pugh and Timothy Chalamet and Day. Yep. Oh my God, Javier Bardem as Stillgard. So he kind of becomes the backbone of the movie in many ways, right?
3: He's also the 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 regular audience can get into the film because yeah. he's more yeah. of he's more of your classical movie character. It yeah. has a little comedy relief. You kind of really right. love what he does.
0: Maudie is too humble to admit that he is the one. I mean, he also had lines that had the audience like laughing so hard. He, Javier Bardem is so good, so good, friendo. All right, what's
2: next, <laughs> uh, Vic? No, Ronetta W. with a $20 super chat. Thank you again, Ronetta. Yeah. Uh Hey, crew, have you seen the trailer for Civil War? The whistling of the American anthem was unsettling to say the least. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. This was from last week. I just realized that because we're having to yeah, get it's like, it. Yeah, I,
0: I thought we had a question we just like this that, already. Then, all right, so, so we all threw those? Yes. Okay, guys, listen. We are just about out of time uh, today because we talked so long about Dune 2. So we're going to take just a couple of questions. Jonathan, feel free to handpick some questions from our beloved
2: YouTube channel members who fired in some questions. Sure. Down. Uh, we got uh, Zen Quantum after Dune 2 fan screening. I'm convinced that Stanley Kubrick is still alive and using Denis Villeneuve as a <laughs> pseudonym, so few uh, filmmakers are this good, just wow.
0: And you know what the funny thing is? Ray, you can double-check. Look up the age of Denis, but he's young.
1: Yeah.
0: He's got 20, 30 more good filmmaker. Like, if, if if Clint Eastwood can direct into his 80s. 56. 56, Okay. Uh, let's, let's, let's be a little more conservative. We won't go Clint Eastwood, but Denis got like 20 more solid years of filmmaking, right? Before he retires. A good 20. All due respect to Christopher Nolan, who I adore, and Steven Spielberg, who is the greatest of all time. Man, it there is a very compelling argument that Denis is the best director in the world today. Like right now, that he might be the single best director in the world
3: right now. And Nolan would give him a run for his money.
0: Yeah, and like I say all due respect to Christopher Nolan; he's amazing,
2: he's incredible.
3: Interrotto and, and Scorsese. This one, yeah. there,
0: are, there are people who are up the contenders, but yeah. I, there, there's a, there's an argument to be made that Denis might be the guy right. This now. This
2: wouldn't be Kubrick though, because there's not the one point perspective that Kubrick is, is famous for. <laughs> that that is like his famous like styling for his shots, you know. Yep. So, all right, what's next? Um, we got. Uh whoops wrong one. Wesley Cunningham excited for Tom Cruise's to start in the next uh uh Ineratu film. Uh been dying to see him in a new or in a major prestige drama again. Uh let me just move this over. Hasn't really had one since Valkyrie if that counts. Otherwise all the way back to Magnolia. I don't know that I would count
0: Valkyrie as a prestige film. Uh I I think it's one of Tom Cruise's most underrated films. Yeah. Nobody talks about Valkyrie yeah, when I've they never bring really up I've heard of it. It's it's like a German World War Two kind of film,
3: directed by Brian Singer.
0: Um, really good movie, really really good movie. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, and we'll
2: see, you know, where he's able to go from here. All right, what's next? Uh, we got Red One, Real Talk. He says the discourse around. I'm gonna have to shrink this up a little bit. Uh, the discourse around the Avatar series has been really disappointing. I thought the show shared some of the charm that made One Piece action uh, work, but it seems fans and some critics are dismissing this for not exceeding the quality of the animated series. There's plenty to like about the show, regardless of how it compares to its source.
0: One of the things I've never understood that we movie fans and, and media fans do is think everything that comes out has to be better than the previous thing. Yeah. And like, I remember for a long time, not so much anymore, but I remember like for a long time when a new comic book movie would come out and I go see an early screening, the first question, is it better than Avengers? Is it better than Avengers? Is it better than Avengers? I'm like, why are you just asking me if it's good? You know, I, I think, should they never make another crime movie? Because unless, well, unless you make a movie that's better than Godfather, don't make another crime movie unless you make another a better cop movie than the french connection don't don't make another cop movie i i i've never really understood that now look i have only seen one episode of avatar the last airbender live action series on netflix but i thought it was quite good i thought it, i personally thought it was better than the first episode of the animated series now the animated series just happened to be one of those things that got better and better and better as it went but Yeah, so listen, I go into it. I don't need the live-action iteration to be better than the animated thing. I just want it to be good. And if it's good, but not better than the animated thing, I'm not going to hold that against it. I just make something that's good. And uh, that's all it needs to be. Now, again, ask me again next week. After I finish watching Avatar, maybe I hate the series. Maybe it starts strong like She-Hulk did, and it turned to crap like She-Hulk did. (laughs) Or, or maybe it's good all the way through. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> She-Hulk. Have you watched any <laughs> of the Avatar? Comes <laughs> Always comes back to She-Hulk. Did you watch any of the Avatar stuff? Yeah.
3: I watched the first two episodes.
0: Uh, the live-action one? Yeah. What
3: did what did you feel of the I, first two I, episodes? I, again, I, I guess because while I really liked the animated Airbender series, I don't, it, it's not something I hold in, I, I don't, I, you know, it's, I don't love it in the sense that I love Star You're not Star clutching Trek. your pearls over no, it. No, not though. at all. And I watched, I thought it was a very effective uh translation to the show. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was respectful. Um, but then again, it, it's like watching something that I don't, like you said, I don't cl- clutch my pearls. Right. I, I thought it was good. Yeah. Well done. Alright, uh, let's take one more.
2: Alright, Dominic Suma. Um, over under eight and a half Oscars for Oppenheimer. I think Killian is going to win over Giamatti, so it'll. So I'll take the over. How many is it nominated for? That I'm not sure. I can't remember.
1: Are you talking about Oppenheimer?
0: Yeah, hard hard to say. I would take the under on eight point five. I think I think I would take an over on a six point five, but I think I'll take an under on an eight point five. But it's not unrealistic because it's gonna because this is one of those films that, like Dune, very strong in the technical categories, very strong in the above the line categories. 13. Thirteen nominations, 8.5's in reach. It's in reach. I again, I still take the under, but it's totally within reach. Now this is your. Pick going into this year's Oscars. 100%. Rob, how many do you see it winning?
3: I would say it's going to win 80% of the awards it's nominated for. I, I, however many it's, it's nominated <laughs> However for, many that is. Yeah.
0: So you're thinking nine. So that's going to be close to nine. Yeah. All right. All right. And guys... That'll do it for today's installment of the John Campius Show Muadib podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this little show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in questions. Number one, because you gave us fun, interesting things to talk about. But number two, you supported our channel as you did it and all of us involved with the show. Thank you guys so much for your support. I uh, want to remind you guys that there is not going to be a uh, open mic today. Today happens to be my birthday, so I'm going to go yeah, hang out with my birthday. wife. Uh, so you'll forgive me if we don't have an open mic today. Um, but we'll be back again tomorrow for the next installment of the John Gambia show. Uh, I want to thank the guys in the room with me, Ray Ora. Have a good hacka shack Jonathan Boyko. See you guys later. <laughs> our own Meshack shack shack Robert Meyer Burnett.
3: Go see Dune in IMAX, biggest screen you can, loudest screen you can. Listen to me.
0: And uh, my name's John Campia. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.